Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. You can go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're really enjoying this podcast, please let others know about it and go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. That will really help others be able to find this podcast. Well, today we have a great episode with John Arndt. John is a coach and spiritual director and a friend. And in this conversation, he helps us all figure out our posture in our interactions with others and how we can attend to the presence of Jesus as we are with others. It's a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. John Arndt, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. I am excited to pod here with you. All right. Let's is that pod. a verb? Do people use that? Uh, I think some people do. I've never really liked it. I, you know, what <laughs> is a pod, weird. right? You, you're casting this pod out and I just, yeah. yeah what is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's strange the etymology of podcast. I mean, yeah. is it because people are normally in like soundproof booths and it's like they're in a pod while they're speaking to the world? That's possible. It could be. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, uh, I, the host was like, welcome to the pod. I was like, ah, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. that. Okay. I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. I'm excited to podcast here with you today. <laughs> Whatever that means. That's good. Um, you know, as I look at you and you you've started to, to walk a lot with a lot of people, uh, in coaching, spiritual direction, helping people find their calling. What are some of the, the principles, the things that you have found that really help people authentically live out their faith uh, with Jesus in any sphere that they walk into? Uh, well, just going for the jugular, right? I am going for the jugular. <laughs> I was like, let's just jump in. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think I, I'm. To quote our our mutual friend Liam Burns, to the man with a hammer in his hand, everything looks like a nail. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm, I just finished rereading Henry Nowen's The Wounded Healer, hmm. and um, was just impressed again with his articulation of it's we're usually responding to the world's. Um, needs and and god's direction out of a place where we've been wounded or um or have spent time and suffering in and i feel like um so so this has been in my head lately this idea of what what does that mean Mm -hmm. um i think um i think i you know i i I grew up with an amazing family but um because of my own issues i felt like um, I wasn't, I, I wasn't given enough space to really be me. Um, not, not because of boundaries that the world, you know, that, that my family's Mm -hmm. put on me, but just in in, interior journey. And so I'm backing way up here for (laughs) me. You started with a great question, but I'm backing way up. I I feel like this trajectory is helpful for people. I feel as though, um, you know, I was reflecting recently on, who growing up spoke to those wounds and needs that I had as a teenager and and kind of growing as a Christian man. And I don't think anyone did. I don't think anyone asked me about my family system and asked me about, um, 
how is my relationship with the Lord affected by my relationship with um, my siblings or right. my sense of identity? I think it was just sort of, there was so much emphasis being placed on personal responsibility, yeah. individual salvation by yeah. individual and personal relationship with Jesus, which is awesome. But it did also you find, that, you know, as you as you walk that out later on in life, did you find a difference between yes. American Christianity and people asking those individual questions? And then yes. as you went to South Africa and, you know, entered into the rest of the world, did they ask different types of questions and think about community and family differently in their spiritual journey? I would say uh, that they maybe didn't do they didn't maybe ask this the kinds of questions that it wasn't that they facilitated a, a discipleship process that helped me better yeah i think it was that they started off with a different premise and so yeah. i had to adjust and realize um my way of thinking where i'm the center of everything mm -hmm. is pretty american yeah. individualized Yep. So to to un, unravel that and go, I'm born into a family and all these scriptures are mm. writ, written like to a church and most of the yep. use that Paul uses are plural and like all of that stuff I had to catch on, catch up with like way later. Yeah. And I don't think that there was a lot of people in South Africa or other nations I dealt with, Swiss, Germany, you know, um, French, and you know, there's so many nationalities I was engaging with. I don't think that they were necessarily provoking me as much as they were living a different hmm. idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the family. So you go, oh, like you're this, this most and Zulu people are living from the values of Ubuntu. I am because we are. I grew yeah. up, you know, with Descartes. I, you know, I am be <laughs> there because they're you know because because they, I think therefore. I am, you know, like yeah. it's all about me and yeah. what happens in my head. And they're like, it's all here, like because of family, because of tribe, because of yeah. community. And so I think, um, so I would just say, I don't know that it was that I was provoked like by specific um, questions or, or someone trying to help shape my thoughts on that um, in those cultures. It was more watching them embody a, a familial yeah. Uh, expression of faith and expression of life and realizing, man, I get annoyed if I make an hour <laughs> appointment with someone and it's an hour and 10 and I, I've got to go do other things. I'm American. Yeah. I've got things on my plate. And they're like, Hey, we said we'd hang out today. So in their head, that's like, let's hang out as long as the day is long. Like we're yeah. going to be, you know, and so just re like that, that kind of collision of culture where you mm -hmm. go to someone's house for a barbecue as an American, you're like, okay, I got two hours of me. Yeah. And in, in South Africa, they're like, this will be a 10 hour experience. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, there's no time frame. There's no limit to that. We're just community together. Yeah. So I think that that collision really forced me to deal with some stuff. Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's go back as you're, you're growing up and you're speaking, uh, help having people speak into your life. Um, yeah. and you're talking about the wounded warrior that they weren't speaking yeah into your wounds uh, or the places that you were yearning for? Um, yeah, I think it was, I mean, I think what, what stands out to me is that people often are, are just assuming that everyone around you, like it's between you and the Lord. And maybe I can, I can insert some data. I can insert some thoughts that will help you uh, learn and grow and get better with what you're doing on the inside of you. And that's, it's almost like plugging yeah. money into, you know, uh, I mean, the image that I have in my mind is almost plugging money into a jukebox. Like I'm going to add something in there and and then it's going to go well for you because you're going to follow my advice. You're going to do this. <laughs> um, and, and so my problems, I, I had a lot of behavioral issues, you know, you know, not a lot, but a fair amount growing up and they weren't wounds that were explored by in Christian community. There were problems yeah. that I had mm. with authority or problems that I had with my wow. behavior. And, yeah. and so that, you know, automatically there it's it, instead of, instead of it being hmm. an area that I, that I might've been wounded in and was reacting out of, it was um, wrong behavior that is attached to my identity. 
Yeah. And so I spent most of my life not realizing that that um, was what's happening inside of me. Um, and then after some really chaotic years in university and, and college, um, I went and met with this person in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, can you remember his name? I want to say it was Marcus something, but he did a ministry called Theophostic Prayer. Yeah. And it was, it was Marcus. Marcus. Yeah. yeah. He is now you on our him? pastoral care team at All Nations oh, Kansas amazing. City. So, yes, I do know Marcus. He's amazing. So, I sat in his office and I want to say it was like kind of close to Lee's Summit, somewhere around there. Yep. Um, but I sat very wounded, very afraid of what God would bring up about the bad choices. All I was told is this ministry was like, um, he would ask a question and then we'd both be quiet and we'd see what God would bring up on the inside of me. And I would respond out of that. And so I'm like, just kind of nervous. I'm like, well, first of all, what if God doesn't say anything? Yeah. And then second, like, what if, like, do I really want to sit with the stranger and just have God bring up all the worst parts of me and I have to just talk about it? So I mm. sat down and, and in the first session, he just said, you seem nervous. I was like, yeah, I am. He said, what are you nervous about? And I said, well, I mean, what if God doesn't say anything? Are we just going to sit here and look at each other? And he said, let's ask God about that. Why don't you, like, Lord, <laughs> what will happen if uh, you don't say anything to John? And we got quiet. And immediately some things were happening on the inside. Mm. And from that moment on for, I don't even know how many, how often we met. It was probably six or seven times, but. It was just such a gentle, helpful way to help yeah. me interact with the Lord use, you know, in this safe space where this very gentle, mild mannered, I assume he's like this, because this is what he was like in our session. That's exactly what just he's like. Gentle, mild mannered, <laughs> pastorally oriented person did not try to fix me, yeah. did not express shock at any of the things I talked about, did not try to, you know, when I would say something like, well, my sister's the apple of my father's eye. He wouldn't be like, well, you know what the Bible says? Like he didn't try mm. to rush in to like correct theology. Yeah. He would just gently ask me to interact with the Lord about what I was saying. Mm. And it was amazing. And so, you know, even now, uh, I guess this is probably 18 years after this point with him, Yeah, maybe 15, 15, 18 years. I feel like so much of the ways that I'm interacting with people are through the lens of how do I help people have space in which they can reflect on what they're feeling and mm -hmm. thinking, and then um, are you getting a chance to process with the Lord about that places where they've been wounded yeah. and not rush to go, oh, I got to just, we got to heal them. Like that's, that's yep. the impulse is the American microwave generation. Yep. Let's, you got a problem, let's fix it. Like, okay, yeah, but like also what is your suffering teaching about you? And about yourself and yeah. what does it mean about your the world you're in and so so to me i feel like um i don't quite remember the exact wording of your original question but what what but my response to whatever <laughs> beautiful question that was is it was I a good one like John. the approach that i i feel like this approach that i have been engaging in with spiritual direction and coaching is really rooted in what transformed me in those moments mm. with Marcus. And yeah. like, it, it, and I started in a vacuum while I was living in South Africa, mm. uh, there was all these missionaries in the field who were in, these workers were in really difficult spaces and difficult countries, difficult cultural assimilation yeah. stuff going on, team conflict, family meltdown, all this stuff, vision, yeah. uh, tension around vision and, and, and mission and purpose. And I realized they didn't need my advice. They didn't need my strategy, which I love to offer both to yeah. anyone who wants it, whether <laughs> they care to or not. I just realized they just need someone asking questions mm. that, that will help them process stuff. So that's that, you know, I feel like it was out of that woundedness that God met me in through Marcus that really led me to where I am today. But if you're thinking of like, what do missionaries need? Uh, they don't need more tasks in front of them. They don't need more strategy. They don't need more vision. They're going after it. I mean, they're apostolic by nature. They're going to go and they're going to like establish something um, very quickly, do the work. They're workers. Um, they also, they need to learn how to be um, and to be with Jesus. Um, are there any helpful strategies that you've found 
uh, or ways that we can learn how to be with Jesus in the everyday and not as opposed to working for Jesus, which seems mm-hmm. totally different to me. The two ways of of doing uh, doing life with Jesus that seems yeah. different and one doesn't seem as helpful than the other in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> you know, I feel like a lot of us put the the cart before the horse where we're, we feel the call, we feel a sense to go, we get trained, we learn strategies, we find theology and praxology that, that, that orients us and finds the right framework. Uh, and then we go and then we realize um, there's nothing sustaining us in this. Mm. And so as far as what I would say, I mean, I think um, I'll mention two books that I think are super helpful yeah. as a way of training. I think um, David Fitch's um, Faithful Presence, Seven Habits That Shape the Church for Mission yeah. is super awesome because he's exploring um, all th- these different habits for churches that are, that help them be healthy. But at the root of it is a being attending to the presence of Jesus in different situations. Yeah. It's not, how can I be better at sharing the gospel or uh, holding a church service? The, the, the goal is not excellence in that. The goal is attending to the presence of God yeah. with you and not just you individually, but as a group. And I think that was a monumental paradigm shift for me Hmm. to realize, especially going from the missional world of like trying to start house churches in the, you know, um, the Arab world in Africa and Asia, and then moving back to the States to go, what does it look like here? Um, He was one of the few people I've read that I was truly inspired to go, wow. The, the 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 types of things his church is living out um i think really land well in this culture and they're all yeah. centered around presence which is helpful theology it's yep. it's not can we do more for the lord it's let's attend to his presence let's orient ourselves towards this person and in that then flows and that's when the the cart gets moved back into the proper position like we're supposed to do we're supposed to work we're supposed to yep. be obedient but it's supposed to be like out of the overflow and outflow of who Jesus is not in our relationship with him. So I feel like that book was really helpful. Mm. Um, Another one that I think is awesome, especially for maybe um, burgeoning uh, missionaries, workers, pastors. um, It was written kind of to like university students in mind, Sky Jathani's with, yeah. Um, he just unpacks our posture with the Lord. Yep. So he talks about four unhelpful paradigms that and you just as you're reading it, you're like, oh man, I engage in these every day. Like <laughs> exactly. working for God yeah. so that he doesn't get mad at me. Um, mm-hmm. or 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 lift looking to the Bible just to find um awesome principles to build your life on and leaving Jesus in the dust. Yeah. So he just kind of provokes that and goes. What does it truly mean to live with the Lord? And which is the heart of the gospel is that God put on skin and like templed with us. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, he brought presence to us and then was like, Hey, this is awesome. I'm a King. I'm here (laughs) on earth. But more than that, I actually think that's so much better if I actually go and send my spirit so that every living person has the opportunity to abide with me and, and, and be filled by presence. So I, I feel like his, that book, both of those books from very different angles, just kind of point your, your, your idea towards what does it mean to be with Jesus? And I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, there's other practices that I would probably mention besides those two books as resources. I feel as though using, um, you know, Lectio Divina, a, you could, people can Google that and, and kind of see how to do that. But it's just basically divine reading. You know, you read yep. a passage of scripture and you're just wanting to fill your imagination with what's going on in the moment. So looking at a moment where Jesus is, is interacting with disciples and instead of just leaving that as um, scriptures that are like helpful to guide our actions today, 
to, mm. to actually try to tend the presence of Jesus in that moment as we read about his life to go, what, when Jesus walks up to the scene where uh, Lazarus is dead and Mary and Martha are grieving, like, what was he experiencing? What was happening to him? Um, as they each came out and both told him, um, Lord, where were you? You could have mm-hmm. prevented this. Yep. What did he feel? What was he experiencing? What were his disciples feeling? Knowing that he delayed and watching yeah. his best friends be grieved. Like, so I feel like tapping into kind of the humanity of God in mm-hmm. Jesus is really helpful to help us abide because we we usually turn to scriptures for either like, I got to memorize things to protect me or bless me, or we look at it as... Um, awesome principles to discern new strategies of touching other people's lives or fixing my children or whatever. And, and often we miss the person that the pages are describing. Yeah. And so I feel like Lectio Divina, just the way of like chewing the fat on an interaction that Jesus, the person has with someone um, transforms. I think that that, that act alone, if, if, if everyone listened to the podcast, just, chose one parable or, or not even a parable, but one moment where Jesus is interacting with the blind beggar or the man at Bethsaida who's yeah. sick or the guy who was lowered the town and then just read that every day for 20 days and just said, God, show me who you are in this passage. Um, and spent time throughout the day returning to it in the middle of their work, making a meal with their family, talking about it with their children. I guarantee you their <laughs> life would change because they would be just seeing the presence of Jesus. Mm. So I feel like, that that would be a bit you know that would yeah. be another encouragement i think that's yeah. a great encouragement i mean lectio divina has been really helpful and a practice that you know, i have done and i have done in community as well as you're looking at facilitating presence being attuned to the presence of jesus what is the the purpose of doing it with others and in community as opposed to uh, just being aware of it individually? It's an awesome question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that um, there's a danger if we're only reading scripture in individual settings that mm-hmm. we only find what we want and need, right? Yeah. Uh, my brother in a high school band, um, a high school pop band, they wrote a song called Cafeteria Jesus. And it's just, <laughs> the whole the whole thing is just like, I like you're walking up to a buffet, like I yeah. like this, but I don't like that. I'm just gonna choose one thing. <laughs> um, we, wanna, we wanna be immersed in a community that holds up the foods of Cafeteria Jesus that we don't like and and help us reflect why what's happening what's going on in me that makes me not want to look at this interaction jesus had with someone Mm. um so there's something different happens to us when we're in community and experiencing the presence of jesus in the scriptures um when we're when we zoom out everyone knows every no matter what kind of um faith background you come from whether it's anglican charismaniac or anywhere in between (laughs) um everyone knows that when you're praying it the dynamics are radically different if you're by yourself with one person or with a hundred and so i like to think that there's something happening in not only in, in attending to the presence of god in prayer that we need corporately as well as individually but also the same with reading the scripture and like the points to this living person, this God who loves us and is put on flesh and reveals the heart of the father to us. We need community to um, experience that with us, just like we need community to experience prayer or experience outreach. I mean, there's a reason why, and, and, and you know, in, in David Fitch's book, he, he kind of gets a little bit more into the, there's a reason why we're meant to hold these spaces um, differently. So he talks about uh, our Sunday gathering is a type of place where we're hosted by the presence of God. We Mm -hmm. gather around communion and worship, like he's the one kind of holding it. But if we're 
loving our neighbors, we're hosting that space and we're mm -hmm. inviting them into our backyards and, and living rooms and around the table with the Lord. And we're doing something, you know, differently in that space. And, the, and then very different from outreach where God right. and us are being hosted by the people we're meeting. Mm -hmm. And so in those three spaces, we relate to people differently as, a, yep. as, as opposed to how we or they are hosting us. Um, and I think that, I mean, there's a lot to unpack just in that simple yeah. you know, thing, but it does That's, point to, yeah. okay, so if we're going to attend the presence of God, we need, we need multiple people. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wonder for you, I know that, you know, you like to probably ask all the questions on the podcast, but I'm just, I'm just curious, like <laughs> when you I wanted to get to a place where you're asking me questions. So this is great. When, <laughs> when you are considering, um, how you engage with people in discipleship, whether they're a believer or maybe they haven't met Jesus yet and they haven't started following Jesus yet. What's it like for you? If it's you by yourself or it's you're with other people, how, how does that difference, uh, affect you? Uh, if, if it's me by myself with one other person, mm -hmm. um, if it's, or me with a, a group of people and another person that trying to engage Jesus. Is yeah, that... totally. Okay. Yeah. You know, me by myself. I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm trying to get to a place of helping somebody discern the, the place that Jesus is already present with them. In the midst of whatever they're going through, whatever their circumstance is, um, that Jesus is truly good news for whatever they're going through. So if I'm I'm here by myself, the one thing is is I'm doing some very attentive listening, asking specific questions to get to who this person is that I'm talking to, what they're going through, and how Jesus can encounter them. And have a, a, a an experiential practice with them, and in the midst of listening attentively and trying to get to that, I'm trying to have a dialogue with Holy Spirit, asking Holy Spirit if there's anything that He wants to say. That's a lot harder um, if I'm by myself than it is if I have other people. So. For example, if I sat in a living room uh, of a Syrian refugee that I've done, um, say it was my wife and I and another couple that go and is talking to this family, what often happened was uh, as my wife and I are engaging and having a conversation with this family and talking through those things and those issues, this other couple is praying and asking Holy Spirit, is there anything that you have for this family? And I could tell you every single time that we want to visit with this, and I'm thinking of a specific couple that we went out with, every single time they had something very specific from the Holy Spirit for a family. And I think every time we went on visit, it ended in tears from the person that we're talking to. And it was tears, it was good tears that, you know, Jesus is encountering them in a very specific way. And he wants to speak. And I think that only was was accessible and was only able to happen because we had more than just one person uh, in the room. Um, and there was multiple people that were attending to the presence of Jesus in the midst of that room and that experience and that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a beautiful description, right? Of yeah what is the power in community attending to the presence? It's not all on you. And like you described, there's a, you've got the agenda of the other person talking, you've got how you respond to it, yep. how you track with it, how, and then you're thinking, I would love to encourage them. I'd love to point them towards God in some way. I'd love to see their posture. You know, if it's not already open, like what can I say or do that would, that would move them towards that. And so it's like, you're having two things happen in your head at all times. Yeah. How do I respond to their agenda and how do I, um, 
maybe facilitate and move this and God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What, how are you already present in this moment? What's happening? Yeah. Um, and that can be really hard. Mm-hmm. The, um, I, I don't know too many people do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, for you, you know, I, you, you're very good at pulling out, uh, what's already present and already there. Um, and I think a lot of people like speak it, like say, God is present. He's doing something instead of asking questions that would pull out the awareness of his presence in the moment, which I think is more powerful for the person that you're engaging with. How would you go about doing something like that in a conversation? Um, I, I think one helpful practice is to always try to take a step back to get wider perspective. So if I meet someone at the grocery store and they're sharing um, about their family and maybe they're, you know, someone has COVID and they're nervous, you know, you might yeah. stumble your, into a conversation. It can be easy to kind of just reflect back. What do I know? Yep. So, oh yeah, my, my uncle got COVID or yes, I, I know that fear. I have a son who hasn't mm-hmm. been vaccinated. So yep. I know, so it could be easy to reflect back. What do we know? Mm-hmm. But I think there's something where you can kind of engage with kind of holy curiosity to go, what else is going on? And yeah. so, um, so in those moments, it can be easy to reflect back when someone's describing some anxiety they have, a family member has COVID. Wow, you really care for family. Like family means a lot to you. And that's not even a question, but just the mirroring back of, yeah. of hearing their desire gives them a chance to go, yeah, I do. Wow, I really care about family. And I'm experiencing stress and fear and anxiety around what's happening here. Um, Hmm. it, it, it helps you tap into people's desire a bit. And so it's not just that I have to have the agenda that I bring to the moment, but I can help them unpack what is, what is bubbling under the surface where they want to talk about something, but they don't know how to get there. They don't have thoughtful moments with people that help them get there. So I feel like, um, mirroring back what you're hearing often helps people. I feel like having holy curiosity, not to satisfy my itch to know more about them, but to go, you know, what is it, what is it like to live in a pandemic where you care about family and you don't get to see them very often? So all of a sudden I put it back into their shoes to say, tell me more about what you love and how hard that is. And then they get to open up and you get the chance to minister to that pain and that frustration and that um, hope for more. Yeah. Um, and then you get to add your hope to them. I hope you get to experience your family in deeper ways. I hope that you, you know, and, and so all of a sudden the conversation can shift from someone sharing something about their circumstance and me trying to relate to it. Yeah. I, I've stopped trying that very much. I mean, I still do sometimes, but I, <laughs> I try to shift towards help them get more perspective about what they're seeing, thinking, and feeling. Um, that's so helpful I, in the midst yeah. of a, a a place where we're at in America at the moment, where we're so polarized and it's more about, you know, trying to get your own viewpoint across and like like everybody is a nail because we, we have a hammer and we're trying to hammer everything in to other yeah. people um, and nobody's going to listen. Nobody listens to each other. And now it just is noise, right? Um so that's such a helpful thing to get to strip away the noise to get to the heart of what is happening in the moment um, so that we could have a fruitful conversation and not just a, a conversation that's at odds and everybody's afraid to engage from the beginning. Yeah. It, it, you know, yes, it is really helpful. I think the hard part is that most of us have a pressure. Most of us sense 
a inner pressure we place on ourselves to correct people who believe the wrong things. Yeah. And so whether it's politically or religiously, or maybe about how they're raising their children or how, how what choices they make about school, it, it doesn't have to be just politics or religion, but most of us will feel responsible. If I hear you say something that I disagree with, most of us have this pressure uh, that makes makes us want to to correct or at least go, maybe I won't correct you and teach you something in this moment, but at least I'll let you know I don't agree. <laughs> at least I'll let you know that there's something wrong with that. And, and it relieves an inner, internal pressure when we say that, yeah. right? So part of what I'm suggesting in this approach is uh, you actually have to do some work to hold that space where, where I could hear, you know, I have conversations with friends that are, that are, that don't believe the same things that yep. don't believe in God, that don't, that, that have been wounded or, or by church or, or might even have really intense emotions like hatred yep. towards structures like church. Um, and so I have to, I've had to be able to hold space where I can hear the, strong emotions around an institution that I'm often associated with um, and not react defensively because I've, I've, I hold that space to go. It's not about me and my relationship to church. They're talking about how they feel. And so to, to help in that moment, turn the, to give them space to share and talk and to refuse to allow myself to chime in on what I believe or feel or think um, mm. on the, on their issue. Um, it is, it does take work. Like it does, it is, um, exercising a muscle to go, yeah. okay, I'm not going to respond or react. I'm going to instead hear you out. I'm going to allow you. In fact, I'm not just going to listen to you. I'm going to ask you more questions to get at the desire. Cause I guarantee you my friends that have had those experiences care just as much about loving their neighbor as my friends who go to church. But they just, they have experienced a type of church where that feels like hypocrisy or that feels like, you know, you know, abuse or whatever it is. Um, but they might have some of the same desires that Jesus not only displayed in his life, but that calls us to live out. And so for me to not feel, to not allow myself to defend the institution, but hold the space, hear them yeah. out. Um affirm the desire, man, you yeah. love family. You don't need a religious family to tell you how to love. That's awesome. Um, and then, and then the more I do that, the more space there is for me to share about my own yeah. beliefs. Um, but I don't have to lead the way with it. I can, I can let them, you know, if that makes yeah. sense, you do you think give someone that, space Yeah. that this inner pressure that we feel to correct one another, to be right um, and you know, that's our pressure is like, we, we either know we're right. We want to be right. We want to make sure other people are right and have correct thinking as, Ad, you know, Adam and Eve went into the, went to the knowledge of the tree, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, mm -hmm. you know, that seems to me a place where, you know, in that fall that we now have the knowledge of good and evil, which I guess we weren't supposed to have. We take that and try to instill this correctness and this correct belief on other people. And do you do you think that is a product of the fall? And if so, what other ways can we go about going back to our original creation intent to to walk with God? in the garden in the evening. Yeah, I think um there's a lot about that story that I don't I couldn't say I I totally understand. But I will say I've heard some beautiful thoughts especially from the Bible project guys um around why the why the tree of knowledge of good and evil and mm -hmm. what they would describe as that it wasn't maybe that we weren't meant to know the difference, but that we weren't meant to define the difference for ourselves, mm -hmm. and that we are meant to live out of God's description of what is good and evil. And, yeah. and so there was a relational reality to truth, which so 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 yeah, I mean, I, I think 
my instinct is to trace it back to this story that tells us so much about the roots of human behavior. When I think about vulnerability, I mm -hmm. think that's the opposite of what's happening in defensiveness, right? Yeah. When I'm defensive and I want to tell you what's right or wrong, or I, there's a, there's a, I want to often in those moments, I'm retreating into a belief system, what I think about things. And so immediately in that moment, I'm less concerned with my physical body. I might be physically aggressive. I might get ramped up. Right. I might, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm retreating away from my physical body and probably emotional reality. How am I, what's my tone? What, what kinds of words am I using? How am I, um, how am I picking up on how you're hearing what I'm saying? I'm probably retreating from those and I'm retreating into my thoughts towards how I think about these things. Um, because I'm threatened in that right. moment. I'm threatened yeah. with the idea that I might let you walk away from me with false thinking. And I'm, I'm on the line for that. I'm going to be held accountable to that. So yeah. it's all, it's my responsibility. If I interact with you and you say something I don't agree with for for me to change your mind. And so um, I think that's a lot of, a lot of it is I'm retreating away from vulnerability in that moment. And I'm doubling down on really a Greek platonic way of sharing the gospel, which is ideas are the most important thing here. Yeah. And tr truth is the most important thing. Some truth that's on the outside of you and me that I can cling to and say, you need to believe this is actually the most important thing here. And Jesus has a different definition of truth because he calls himself the truth. Yeah. He's not an abstract idea. He's a person. He's, mm -hmm. he's the, he's the embodiment of God and man together. And, yep. and so he, he would draw our attention away from a principle that I say is more important than the way you and I are relating. He would actually yeah. go, he would say that you're not actually loving your enemy. You're actually, that's, you're not living love at that moment. Yep. You're hiding behind lofty ideas. Um, and so, so I feel like my, my short answer would be in those defensive moments where I, where I'm feeling like I need to show you that I'm right is usually there's an underlying thing happening where I'm nervous about being wrong and failing, yeah. uh, about, you know, there's something else happening about me yeah. and I'm reacting out, out of that. When I lean into the vulnerability of tell me more of what you feel and I'm going to hold on to what I think about yeah. it when I lean into that. And I, and maybe I even admit, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. If I lean into vulnerability, usually what's happening is there's more of the embodiment of who I am in this moment, not just a thought, but who I am, how I react to you, how I'm, how I'm listening to you, how I'm responding to your physical and emotional and spiritual presence in this moment. And usually it's out of that place where truth is really discovered, where there's yep. a discovery experience rather than, I'm going to use a harsh word, a colonization <laughs> of an idea yeah. where I say, this is the idea you got to accept it, even if you don't like it. Yeah. So I, th I yeah. think what I, what I hear you say is that we should set, instead of taking right thinking, correct thinking, and try to instill that in to other people, we want to facilitate uh, people towards Jesus, who is the truth, um, and in that relationship with him and others, truth is revealed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we look at Jesus as an example, he, the ones he was really, <laughs> the ones that he often was kind of calling out for wrong thinking was pretty much Pharisees, and usually it's not wrong thinking, it was wrong behavior. It right. was how they were relating to the people around them unhealthily, how they were relating to God. I, I think when you look at Jesus, there was a, you know, I, I heard Floyd quote this a lot, Floyd McClung. I, I don't know if it was his saying. He is probably <laughs> a great borrower of sayings. As we all are. I remember yeah. he, he often would say, um, belonging before belief. Is that what he would say? Belonging before belief. I think so. And his idea was, as you extend a loving approach to others, as you are 
helping someone know that they belong with you and they belong to the family you're inviting them into. Yeah, you belong here. Um, and not insisting that they, you know, I think Dallas Willard said this, um, it, it, or maybe it was, yeah, I think it was Dallas where, where he was talking about what a faulty presentation of the gospel to say to someone, you need to believe what I believe, whether you believe it or not. Like, <laughs> here's the checklist. Just yeah. say you believe it. Like that doesn't, what, how is that <laughs> life and freedom, right? Um, but, but to tell someone they belong and then allow the fruit of their relationship with the living God to yeah. produce new character, new beliefs, and new ideas, new right thinking, yep. that seems that seems like mm. sort of the path forward, right? To yeah, invite people beautiful. into family that then says, hey, this is who we are as a yeah. family. This is, and that's how we, you have a son, like this is how you do it, right? Yep. You don't go, Luke, you should know by now that, <laughs> you know, I don't care how old you are. Like you should know that we are always speak honoringly of like, it, it's, it's a gradual, Hey, you belong here. And guess what? In our family system, we yeah. honor guests. So we let them eat first. Like you just, you, yeah. you help them catch up to the family system. Right. Yep. So I, think I mean, I think Luke is, is caught, caught up. I mean, when we pray at night and we're, we're praying for our family he also has us pray for anybody that has been a guest in our home because they're also family mm. because they're they've been in our house they've been in our home together with our family so i i think it's already been been caught i never taught him yeah. that that hey guests are our that's family awesome. they're part of us and they belong but that's what he thinks and believes and i think it's through you know an experience with us and, you yeah. know, as we embody that ourselves, as Meredith and I embody that, Luke starts to live it out himself as well. And I think whatever we embody, um, others around us will start to live that. I just uh, have a, a question about uh, about uh, Bethany, your wife, as she went from being a very uh, vibrant, upfront ministry leader to then, you know, being sick and having to stay home and because she was, you know, fatigued and tired, exhausted and being relegated to a, you know, uh, back of the house ministry of prayer yeah. and engaging that. How did walking that journey for you affect your relationship with God? I mean, wow, that was a really big one. I, I mean, know. I think... That's why I was like, well, Maybe we don't want to get in that deep. But no, I'm happy this is to. An interesting I, question. I'll, I'll be I'll be happy to talk <laughs> about me. I don't feel comfortable talking about her relationship with the Lord. Yep. Because she's such a great communicator. I'll let her tell her story. Yep. But for me, um, yeah, it was huge. I mean, in the first year of our marriage, you know, she started. She's you know she deals with chronic pain, and I I had to learn in the first year of marriage that how can I how do I live in a, in a natural state where I'm empathetic and caring and nurturing her and her need and yet not allowing my emotional experience of the day to be uh, in tandem with what she's going through. Hmm. So how do I live where I can yeah. care and yet I'm also free to have my own. So in, hmm. individuate, but also identify. And that was huge. And that yeah. I think, set me on a road for the long haul um we this in just a couple of weeks we'll celebrate um 10 years of marriage and it's been a lot you know since 2014 it got it became really difficult for her yeah and, to engage in ministry and and public life and in lots of ways and so i feel as though um i was in a unique position where i'm not suffering the pain and yet i'm experiencing as a as a partner and as a spouse and as a, you know, her, you know, I love her. And so how do I, how does that affect me? Um, and it's affected me in lots of ways. And I think having a healthier theology of suffering was a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think somewhere around 2011 or 12, a couple of years into marriage, I began piecing together um, the tension of living where I expect and hope for spontaneous physical healing. I, I grew up as a charismaniac, so this yeah. is in my DNA. 
I meet someone and they're hurt, I'm going to, Hey, let me, let's, I know God loves to heal today. Right. I've seen it. Yeah. I, I remember praying for someone in Malawi in 2011 who had yellow fever. And then the next morning she was healed and she told yeah. her village about it. So I, I've experienced this and yet to live with, so that mo moment where I live each day as if Bethany can be healed and then live with the reality where she wasn't yet today. Yeah. So what, so in that tension, um, I don't think it can not form someone. <laughs> so right. I don't think it can not affect yeah. lives with the Lord. So I feel like it, it, it probably helped me, probably helped me um, produce more compassion for others around me who are living in their own experiences of um, longing and waiting. Um, mm -hmm. I think it helped me relate to God in more of a complex way where it's not just binary. He doesn't heal or he heals, but yeah. Okay. There's some other things I don't understand here. Just like with anyone, there's yep. behavior you experience that you're like, I don't, it doesn't totally sync up with what I would expect you to do. So what I do with that. So yeah. I think it deepened my experience with the Lord. Um, it really rooted me. Mm -hmm. There's there's really nothing like feeling helpless that roots you in the love of the Lord. I mean, I think that's why mm -hmm. the Lord gave us these attachment experiences as children. Like Luke gazes up into Meredith's eyes and forms an attachment that gives him that sense of security and safety he can explore but he always knows mom's got my corner I can always yeah. walk back in the room and she's right there so when that happens to the lord where we attach to the lord and gaze into his face and we experience him in our hearts and in the arms and and hugs and love of the, the community yeah. around us when that when that happens we're rooted even in our helpless infant stages um and that does something to us. It gives us security. It gives us, um, it, it, it tells us there's something that's valuable about us, even if we can't change the situation we're in. Um, and so I feel like that being rooted in his love and attached to him in the helplessness of not being able to change her position. Mm -hmm. I think it really gave me some deep roots where, yeah. where, you know, I was in a missional culture that really was, excited about outreach yep. and I was, and I would actively resist no, not the explicit invitation of the people around me, but the implicit expectations that like we spend eight hours of our day out there in the community doing this yeah. when I felt like actually God's calling me to care for the people doing that. Hmm. And even though it was valuable to the people around me, it wasn't championed. And so <laughs> what is it like to live in a ministry that's necessary and yeah. that's called by God, but isn't championed in the same way that this other flashier ministry is. What, what does yeah. that mean? And I think to not let that wreak havoc on your identity, yeah. you gotta be rooted and you gotta mm -hmm. be able to withstand some of the, that expectation stuff that you have to deal with. Mm. Well, that's beautiful, John. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the two questions that I like to ask at the end, uh, number one, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Invest in Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, something deeper than that, I think I would say um, trust your instincts and come out of your shell. I think um, I often am slower to voice my desire because I'm trying to make room for other people. Mm. And it's only probably been in the last several years that I've been able yeah. to embrace the call to love others well and create room for them while also really articulating desire and living out of a place where I'm integral, you know, it, it, yeah. there's integrity of who I am yeah. and I can be, I could speak my desire. I don't have to be like a suffering martyr or something. And so I think, I would just say, trust your instincts and, and, and speak your desire more. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, you mentioned a few books, um, but is there anything else that you've been reading or watching that you would recommend? 
my gosh, that stuck there. Um, <laughs> I just started uh, this book, which I think is fantastic. Um, it's called Into the Silent Land by Martin Laird. It's a guide to Christian practice of contemplation. Mm. He, it seems like he makes it, he's just, he's describing uh, uh, the abiding place and that, and the prayerful practices that, that can help us get rooted in the love of Jesus. Um, And I think it's, I've just started it, but I'm, I can tell I'm going to love it. So I'm going to go ahead and throw a (laughs) shout out to that. I would say, um, the one that's causing me to ask most questions right now is called Redeeming Sex by Deborah Hirsch, yeah. uh, wife of Alan Hirsch, those crazy Australians. Yeah. Um, just fantastic, provocative thinking around everything, desire, sex, gender, you know, LGBTQ, all of that. Um, she, she does an awesome way of speaking honoringly about other people's mm-hmm. experiences and yet kind of going back to what is Jesus doing and saying um, yeah. and, and how are we meant to live out of our humanity and not just an idealized perfection that we imagine. Um, so I think those are probably the couple things I'm reading at the moment. Uh, I did commit to reading Thurman's um, Jesus and the Disinherited uh, in over the last year. That's been one where I'll read a page and put it down for like a week. Um, cause I just want to let it saturate. So it's been mm. a slow moving process for me, but it's been good. Uh, that's great. I would say if anyone wants to work with what we would call poor or marginalized, they should probably read this because he's writing a book. It's really written from the stage of like, Hey, we've heard a lot of the gospel from the lips of people who, were colonizers or, or like their gospel kind of fit into their worldview because they have plenty <laughs> and they have a voice in society. Yep. We need a gospel for his famous phrases with men with their backs to the wall. Like they got nothing else. Yeah. Like it's they're they're kind of, on, you know, and so, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Wow. I think that's so important that we hear uh, from different voices and that we, we are actually, you're, we're aware of where, people are coming from and the voices that we are listening to and the voices that we are reading and try to get a diversity of perspectives. And I think only when we get a diversity of perspectives, can we actually find something uh, that's healthy and whole? Uh, Because usually if we have one perspective, you know, we're missing something. We just really missing something. So So it's really, really good. I remember I'll just, uh, just briefly last, right before COVID, I went to, New York uh, and did some some stuff with Alan Hirsch, and mm. he brought um, a box of Deb's book, Redeeming Sex. To, oh, really? To sell. He didn't bring any of his own books. He didn't do any any of that. He was just promoting his wife uh, and selling her books and making sure that he's getting his wife's book out there. So, which was really cool to see That's that awesome. he was uh, he was loving and championing his wife. Uh, in the middle of whatever he was doing. So that's cool. That's awesome. Okay. So because you mentioned uh, different voices, I'll mention one other book I'm reading, which is called um, Exodus. And it's uh, it's like, I'll have to look this up. I'll maybe I'll send you a message she can post it with the podcast. Yeah. But it's basically a, a perspective of the women of Exodus yeah. who are actually the saviors and redeemers. <laughs> have you heard of this book? Uh, I think I've heard of it. I haven't read it, but. Okay. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's the idea is Moses was not the first one to, mm-hmm. who was really uh, God's provision of deliverance. It was the midwives yeah. that we yep. see as the archetype. It's yep. beautiful. It's a great yep. book. That's awesome. Um, and, and on my reading list that I just added last night, uh, it's not out yet. It comes out in two weeks, but it's called, um, Abuelita's Theology, and it's uh, Mm. these grandmothers in the Hispanic tradition who have embodied helpful theology that has shaped their culture in, and I'm excited to read that. So do you read, John? I don't know. I don't actually read. I try try to have time for it. It's it's getting harder and harder to protect time for it, but yeah, Yeah, I do love it. 
Um, if anybody wants to, as you heard John today, and if you've you've want, loved what he had to say, um, and you know his voice was soothing enough that you would want to engage with him in some spiritual direction or coaching, uh, how could people find that? Yeah, they can go to, I work with a network called Integer Network. We do lots of coaching and stuff. I also have a website, uh, flourishdirection.com, um, that is just kind of my way of showing the world what I do. Yeah. Um, so they can find emails to contact me on both of those, integernetwork.com or flourishdirection.com. Great. So, well, John, yeah. it was a pleasure. It was such a great conversation. The problem is, you know, we have a limited amount of time. I could talk to you all day. Um, it's just a great conversation. It's You're so easy fun. to talk to. So thank you so much for engaging and being on today. Thanks, Josh. I really loved it. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.